podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Accidental Podcast or something like that. I'm Les Bubka and today here with me is PJ Brumi from Australia, a practical martial artist, a gym membership seller and ex-policeman, I believe. How are you, PJ? Good, thank you, Les. I'm excellent. Yourself? I'm very good, thank you. I'm glad uh, to chat to you. Uh, I follow you on your uh, social media. It's always very interesting what you're posting. Um, could you tell me um, something about your background? How did you end up in martial arts, in karate in particular? Yeah, of course. Um, basically, a skinny teenager in the 80s, um, getting bullied at school and all that sort of stuff, and um, what, watching kung fu movies on TV and the like. Um, found out there was a, a few of my friends had started karate at a nearby school. So I joined in in the uh, mid 80s and um it was a japanese style called shokukai um even though we live in a regional part of australia um we were lucky enough to have uh a, a japanese gentleman um matsumoto sensei who was a seventh dan so we we got some uh, a pretty good introduction to japanese karate um fast forward a few years um didn't train as probably as frequently as I should, but um, I eventually got a job with the Queensland Police Service. And um, after graduating from the academy, I thought it'd uh, be a good time to recommence my martial arts training in earnest. Um, I was lucky enough to be exposed to a whole heap of uh, different martial arts, in particular um, submission wrestling, which was very big at the academy. Um, in particular, a, a really amazing role model um, in retired Inspector Bill Turner, who um, was actually was actually a Scotsman, believe it or not, and um, he pretty much destroyed my karate altogether on the mats. So that made me think there's a little bit more to martial arts. Um, I kept uh, training with different sensei. Um, who were teaching different things from uh, Shito Kai to Gojiru to um, a style that um, a lot of Australians are familiar with, Gokenru. Um, and eventually, uh, the, uh, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention. Um, I was left to my own devices and uh, had to run a small school by myself. So from that day forth, I started looking internally into karate and trying to find out what it was all about so what is it all about then well it's definitely not just kicking punching and blocking that's for sure <laughs> um the exposure i had to wrestling and judo and and the like and actual um real world violence uh, as a young police officer um I started thinking, well, surely the people who made karate must have known what it was about. It, it doesn't uh, actually um, just simply consist of these blocking routines that we do endlessly. 
but never get to apply them because no one punches us correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was lucky enough to train with uh, an amazing Shotokan um, sensei. Um, the time was Wrenchy Ed Hudson, who introduced me to this uh, brand new idea to me. Uh, uh, he liked to call analysis and it had come by a fancy name of Bunkai. And uh, he opened the door and I went, well, now I'm looking at my karate completely differently. So where I'm at now is basically karate is a way of life. Um, it, it must have a practical application in some way, shape or form. And as far as the rules of Bunkai are concerned, if uh, you can interpret your karate and use it in a practical way, who am I to tell you you're doing it wrong? That's nice. So so different to hear that from the people. It's, it's a more more um, cons- consistent approach now. Is getting spreading, but uh, the the one sensei to others saying that you know, well, your way is good as well. Instead of saying no no no, my teacher only got the the, the proper solution. Everybody else is uh, wrong, isn't it? <clears throat> well, th- yeah, that's like nobody knows all the answers. Um, we all put our gi pants on exactly the same way. So no one is any better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we see someone else doing a, a you know, a particular application or, or their oyo from a cutter that's completely different, that should be inspirational. That should not be confrontational. Yeah, that's, that's true. We should be, uh, I'm, I'm a great thief. So when I see something, uh, <laughs> or stuff I just nick it and do it my way you know um, could you um, tell me something you said you've been um, bullied uh, I think we've all been bullied to some degree in schools um, so what uh, martial arts had the impact on your mental health oh mate absolutely uh, karate um, has been a lifesaver um, both figuratively and literally um, just the fact that it gives you the, the, the self-esteem that you're obviously lacking, especially like everyone uh, when they're going through their teenage years has a rough time. Um, and I think it's an absolute must for, for people if they want to, um, you know, basically come out the other end of their teenage years with their head held high. And then, then moving on into later life, Karate basically just teaches you that you have ups and downs and everything. Some days you have good days at training, sometimes bad days at training. It's just like life. But the trick is to always pick yourself up and keep going. Um, Obviously, working as a police officer too and um, quite a few health issues. Karate has been a staple of just helping maintain that, that physical fitness and also that mental resilience. I know that you and uh, kind of on your side of the world, um, you and Invisible Say Say, uh, you hold the talks about mental health quite regularly. Is that still going or can you tell us something about it? Yeah, we, um, we do uh, have a chat every now and then. Hopefully not too far in the not too far distant future, we'll actually be able to stand next to one another and, um, and, and train and, and talk about mental health. But um it's definitely something that's that's you know pretty important. I've I've seen uh, how it can affect the, the worst case scenario when it affects people. And uh, recently, uh, the invisible sensei, whose whose name is Tawari Dawson, um, he does an amazing job. And he he put a post out just saying to everyone, look, just reach out at this point in time because in Australia and New Zealand, we're very very lucky with 
the COVID situation, we're pretty much training as per normal. But for people like yourself who are enduring another lockdown, like we can at least extend our, the hand of friendship and try and get people onto Zoom and at least open up a dialogue to let everyone know that they're not alone because a lot of the times the, the funniest, um, most bubbly, um, charismatic person in the room is the person who's suffering the most from a mental illness. Yeah, exactly, exactly, covering it up. <clears throat> um, so uh, you said you've been a police officer. From I, I can be uh, misled on this one, but uh, from my understanding, uh, the people of Australia are a bit more rebellious than the other ones. So uh, that must have been kind of difficult stuff. Did you have to use a lot of karate or how did that transform you? Or maybe I'm just completely wrong. Um, as far as the karate, I started learning the Japanese karate, the, you know, basically some people call it 3K karate or just the kick punch block. Um, it wasn't part of the day-to-day -day routine. It was good to have a skill set to know what to do if someone did throw a strike. But more often than not, you would need to resort to going hands-on and grappling and clinching. Mm -hmm. um, I did, my karate did save me quite a few times when other options were exhausted and they didn't work. Um, but... I found that the more I looked into the karate and the more uh, I realized there was, there was joint locks, there was uh, Kyusho, there was, there was throwing techniques, the more practical uh, law enforcement applications I could see. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the only issue is that when you work for a government agency, a lot of the times you are bound by their training curriculum. And if you stray from the techniques that you are entitled to use legally you can end up standing on your own two feet and without the support of your um, police service mm -hmm. so it was good to have the karate in in the back of uh your in your back pocket so to speak but you still had to go about the day-to-day -day business in a manner which you were you were trained to do mm -hmm. um i guess luckily i i'd been an operational skills and tactics trainer for 17 years mm -hmm. um so my karate actually enabled me to apply the approved techniques in a much more efficient manner um, it also helped me impart knowledge on other police officers who were learning those techniques mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> did the experiences of uh of the street street not street but uh enforcing peace and and, and uh, working with people who are uh, that's a bit more violent sometimes um did that impacted your um view on karate did you decided then i uh, do i need to change stuff or i'm separating it as a sport and like you said using just the techniques from the curriculum of the police um separately or did you put it all in together um Look, I started sport earlier on with the, the, the points fighting, and then I, I moved into the um, the heavy contact, uh, if you've heard of this before, the Koshiki style of sport karate. Um, but when it come to um, real world violence, that was not necessarily the direction I wanted to take. Um, I'm a big fan of some of, uh, or a big fan of a lot of uh, Sensei Andy Allen's work mm -hmm. where he talks about training scars. 
And in one particular instance, when a situation got very, very violent, I did resort to using a strike. It worked very effectively. Then I found myself stopping and stepping back and, and getting in, into position ready to bow and wait for the referee to intervene. Um, and then I realized, well, hang on a tick, I'm in police uniform and I've got to effect an arrest. Um, I found that, you know, that was quite bizarre, but clearly under extreme duress, you revert back to what you've done a lot of. Um, and that was pretty much, a, you know, the catalyst for me to go, well, let's have a look at karate and let's, let's try and apply it in a more realistic situation or a realistic sense. Um, I found that there was really no separation between the way I was training and the techniques that I needed to apply. Um, ju just the, the movement patterns, the, 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 the force that was needed, even if I was practicing striking, I was finding um, applications for my grappling or gripping or throwing or takedowns um, and everything become a crossover. So one thing was leading into the next, does, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. for me, it does make sense because I went through the very similar route with the my background in wrestling as well. And uh, then you start seeing everything as a grapple or throw. Uh, it's just very, very strange. And I think people who have never done grappling and wrestling cannot imagine um, that the punch can be something else, kick can be something else. Uh, at least it's uh, difficult to make that leap if you didn't try it before. Um, so what steps did you take um, to make your karate more uh, analytic? Um, well, very, very early on when basically I was, was handed a dojo and I, I wasn't necessarily ready to, to take over or instruct or anything, but um, you, know, you do what you've got to do. I just mapped out a, a set of techniques. So basics, Kihon, um, mm -hmm. I decided on a list of kata and then it just started working around that as the, basically the, the starting point as with pretty much every other style, but then uh, made sure that from day dot, people thought about their techniques a lot more. So from walking in as a white belt, you're taught that a lower block or get and berai is not necessarily to block a kick. It can be a reversal technique, it can be an arm bar, it can be a, it can be a throw, it can be a groundwork sweep, um, it can be a limb clear. Um, and so that's what we systematically went about doing with pretty much every technique. Um, and it's just been an evolution ever since. Um, and just whenever I can, just take the opportunity to train with and um, learn from other karate styles, different martial arts, but not with a view to learning all those styles or martial arts, but just to try and, like you said, steal from them mm -hmm. and be able to uncover more of what we do already. So how, how your students um, took the change uh, from, or did you have this fresh set of students uh, we're doing now my way, off we go. Or it was a transition period from the more traditional one. You've been uh, left to run this uh, dojo and now we're doing my way, we're doing changes. How did your students respond to that? It wasn't too difficult because <laughs> when I started, I started with three students. So, <laughs> um, and and they were they were just glad that I was there because the alternative was that they didn't get to train karate anymore. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
if I fast forward to today, um, I'm still one of those. Back then, it was a it was a young kid was training with me. He's in his thirties now, and he's still training with us. You know, so um, it wasn't much of a transition. It was a it was an evolution that you know, um, it it wasn't just me. Everyone who's trained with us, everyone who's come into the dojo, has added and shared with and improved what we're doing. So it wasn't like a sudden sudden change. Um, it was just, and, and the, the thing is too, we, we rely a lot on, um, things need to make sense. There's, there's nothing worse than someone showing you a part of Carter and then you have to make some really bizarre contrived attack to make that part of the Carter work. It, if it's simple and it works and it works under duress and you can pressure test it, um, well, well, then no one really argues. Everyone just goes, well, that's great. We'll keep using it. Mm -hmm. So what was your um, uh, kind of principles to choosing? The, you said you chose them the katas for your own practice. What was your uh, kind of base to choose this kata instead of the other one? Um, basically, to start off with, it, it was down to the kata that I knew. Um, and I knew uh, mostly uh, gojuru kata. But my original karate was was a shuri base. Um, so, and because I'd done some training with uh, Renshi Hudson, who was a Shotokan stylist, um, I, I added three kata to the curriculum that were um, were, were Shotokan based. So we, we do Hei uh, Nidan, um, we do Teki Shodan, and um, and just as a real introductory kata, we do Taigyoko Shodan. Uh, but other than that, the rest of our kata are from Gojiru. But I've seen that um, your katas, Gojiru katas, are a bit different to the usual ones. For example, the Tensho is quite uh, different. Is that your modifications or uh, that lineage you're coming from? Um, no, it's not my modification. And to be honest, I, I have no idea what the lineage is. That is the version that I was taught very early on. Um, and, and that's just what we've stuck to. Um, I found it really interesting because I, I've been lucky enough to, uh, I, I trained with uh, Heguana Sensei uh, when he came to Cairns um, and I got to see his Gojiru. And then I was so lucky to travel to Okinawa and train with um, uh, Tetsuhiro Hokamahanchi uh -huh. and he, he does the same kata but it looks like a completely different style so that's what I think is so magnificent about karate is that you, you can have slight variations or even large variations in kata that's the same and it's not right or wrong it's just different um, when you're teaching in your school <clears throat> what approach are you taking? Are you a traditionalist or are you looking for a modern uh, principle and uh, methods of training? Um, I just, the, the word traditional can be misconstrued. Um, you can have a modern tradition. So a lot of times when people talk about traditional karate, they're talking about the karate that they learned through the 70s, 80s and into the 90s which a lot of the time is the 3K karate. The karate that we try and do is we try and um, adhere to the thought processes and the ethos of 
the, I guess you'd call them the modern masters of karate, Chojin Miyagi, Itosu, uh, Funakoshi, um, what they thought about karate before it really took off in Japan. Um, and obviously, you, you know yourself, there's some fantastic, amazing karateka around the world who do a lot of research on the subject. Um, uh, Patrick McCarthy, Hanchi, uh, Ian Amanathi, um, uh, even Jesse Enkamp, uh, sharing a lot of stuff about what the original masters thought karate was. So um, we try as hard as we can to stick to that, to just have an open mind, apply it in a practical way, and try and bring it back to the art that existed prior to it becoming popular in Japan. Do you think we can bring it? We actually never don't know really what was going on. <clears throat> or, or should no, we just um, try to do our best what works for our times instead of trying to do a kind of uh, reproduce what was used in that times for fitting for that times? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, I, d I don't think we need to reproduce what was uh, like, like how people attacked back in those days and, and social niceties and, uh, and things like that. I think karate is a living and breathing being. I quite often have conversations with my students and, and other martial artists that if, say for argument's sake, um, Chojo Miyagi was around and, and, and someone... Uh, did a triangle choke um, he would want to know what that was how it worked and you would find that starting to sneak into his curriculum for sure um, so we are very much um, adapting to our environment so our karate should be able to do the same um, so it's not a matter of completely disregarding the past we have to acknowledge the past and apply it to the future if that makes sense yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of people are opposing that that view. Uh, I've been on the receiving end because I don't. Uh, I respect tradition, but I'm not bound by the tradition, so I don't hesitate to change, modify, and and do stuff my ways, which a lot of people uh, disagree with me. But I hope a um, lot of people are a view that we shouldn't change uh, what was passed to us. What's your thoughts about that? Because if you look historically all the masters was modifying all the time. And suddenly from the traditional in brackets, uh, karate coming up that lineage that we shouldn't change anything. I absolutely agree that um, I think you need to make a choice. Uh, are you a historian? Uh, are you trying to preserve something in the time capsule? If that's the case, well then you cannot change. Um, you, you need to preserve what you're doing um, as close to the original as you can, you can work out. Um, but I'm not a historian. Um, karate is a living and breathing entity. Karate does change and you're hundred percent correct. The masters, they deviated from what they were taught. They were rebels. They, they didn't adhere to tradition. They created tradition. Um, look at the end of the day, anyone can do, what makes them happy. If people love doing sport, fantastic. That, that's brilliant, um, go for it. Um, if people wanna be just 100% practical and, and really don't want anything to do with the, um, with the wearing of a gi or any of the, the, the Okinawan language or the Japanese language, um, that's fine too. 
um, I think that's the beauty of the art. There's so many different facets, but uh, I'm definitely not a historian. I, I'm, I'm happy to deviate and create because I think that's what the masters did themselves. Hmm. Um, I was going to ask you something, but just lost, lost my uh, thought. But doesn't matter. Move on. Um, tell me what the changes might must be uh, if your dojo practices and probably all life uh, living in a land when everything tries to kill you. Um, <laughs> what the, what what's your uh, kind of a uh, protocol for going to the to the dojo? Are you checking for snakes, spiders, and stuff like? That? <laughs> that, it might sound stupid because I've never been in Australia. I've been in New Zealand, but not in Australia. <laughs> I'm just basing my knowledge on the stories, which might be not relevant. Um, well, you, you're pretty correct. Pretty much most things, um, if given the opportunity, can hurt you here in Australia. But most things will also turn around and run away from you here in Australia. Um, you have to pretty much go into their world if you want to get hurt by something. Um, so as a basic rule, um, a lot of us know where not to swim. <laughs> um if you're going to go for a walk in the bush, you make sure you take a pressure bandage with you because uh, if you do get bitten by a snake, you're going to have to um, make sure you can get out okay. Um, but it's it's not as prevalent as what you think. Uh, there's far more people killed by sitting on the couch and eating junk food and watching television than there are by our wildlife. Mm. Well, I've seen um, your post quite often uh, of your back garden. Uh, which looks looks amazing, um, <clears throat> but having so much greenery and land, you know, Australia is a huge continent with very little people on it. Is that making uh, problems with fighting a dojo and instructors and, and cooperate with other people? Um, not really. Look, Kansas is in a big place. Um, uh, I think our population is probably about two hundred thousand people. Um, you know, so it's not huge. Um, and we've got, uh, at last count, I think we've got eight or nine different karate schools here in Cairns. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's just karate. So that doesn't include judo, taekwondo, MMA, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. There's so much to choose from. Mm -hmm. um, the, the issue comes once again where um, people don't seem to have an open door to their dojo. Mm -hmm. I think you, you mentioned it earlier that, that my way of doing things is better than yours. Um, and that's really disappointing. Um, we've always had an open door to our dojo, happy to share with anyone, happy to, to jump into other dojos and do exactly as they teach. Not, not with a view of showing how much better we are or how much worse we are, but just of learning. Um, sadly, I think pretty much everywhere around the world suffers the same problem where you can get friends on the other side of the globe who would happily train with you but the person who lives around the corner doesn't want to walk into your dojo. Mm. So, um, yeah, even though Australia is a big place, mate, where there's a lot of people here who do some really, really good karate. Mm, I'm finding that very um, interesting, frustrating and disappointing in the same time <clears throat> that karate is so much as a religion and a cult in, in some, some instances, not, not all of it, but, uh, are people going to be just focusing on that? that that's my religion. And, and so I have to bring it to you sometimes and you have to change. If you want to train with us, you need to change. You cannot be yourself and, and stuff like that. Um, do you find that happening? Oh, or? 
Yeah, abs no, absolutely. There are still people who hang on to that. Um, yeah, well, I've, I've got some some horrendous stories that I, you know, I don't think it's probably good to share because you want to try and keep this podcast positive. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, with people who just completely closed mind, and you're right, it does become a bit like a cult. Uh, my wife often um, often jokes that I'm a cult leader and and I'm off to the church again and things like that. So, um, but but that's good that she does that because that just keeps me grounded. And we've got to realise that it, it, realistically, it, it's a hobby what we do. You know, it's it's a hobby that we're uh, probably unhealthily obsessed with, but all in all, it is a hobby. I, I like um, Ian Abernathy's um, description of it. That he said we we are most probably all autistic on a karate point. So you know, having that for long long lived focus on one thing is probably an autistic spectrum. Oh, we are on the spectrum for sure, mate. We're right there um, and, and proud of it too. Um, actually, funny you should mention Ian, but I, I he's obviously one of the most famous karateka on the planet and I successfully insulted him in a post the other day and he actually liked what I said. Oh, cool. <laughs> he's got a good sense of humour. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he do, he do. He does, I should say. He do, he does. Yeah. He, he have a good sense of humour, yeah. Um. So how do you, um, uh, keeping that open-mindedness, how do you uh, transfer that your way of thinking to your students? Is that uh, by leading the uh, way or you actively preach to them? Um, I, I try to do uh, lead by example. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I always see lots of sensei just yelling and screaming at students and walking around like they've got the weight of the world on their shoulders because they've just got so much knowledge in their head that they couldn't possibly demonstrate it because someone would end up injured. Um, I'm the other way. I'd rather jump on the floor and jump around and make a fool of myself and have a laugh, but then also show everyone that, you know, I, I can, I, I can succeed and I can fail. And, and then I also routinely put my friends, my, my students in a position where, okay, show me what you think. You do it. You explain it to everyone. And age isn't a barrier. I will happily put a 10-year-old in front of a class and get them to explain how they think this could be worked, you know, as a groundwork technique. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, everyone thinks differently. Everyone looks at things differently. So hopefully I'm just ex uh, leading by example and inspiring them to think differently about their art. Because ultimately, we are we are taking care of an art that we're going to hand off to them, that they're going to continue with. It, it's not about us. We're, we're only temporary. Yeah, sure. Um, I found it that in my experience, um, because um, here in UK, I find that when I start teaching here, it was the bring of uh, Ian Abernathy's going to fame and, and all that practical um, karate start blossoming and people start changing mind. But for me, the most struggling thing was to encourage my students to ask questions because they've been just listening to me teaching. And even on seminars, when you ask people, you know, do you got any questions? Everybody's silent. They never have any questions. And that's for me is kind of wrong because <clears throat> I take things for granted. And my uh, when I'm explaining stuff, I forget that some things are important and I rely on my students. I'm lucky to have three or four students who who always ask as silly questions, seems to be, 
but it, that makes me come back and say, oh, okay, I skipped something because it's natural for me, but it's not natural for them. Do you find that as well in, in Australia or is it a cultural thing? Because in Poland, in Poland, in Poland uh, students are more kind of challenging uh, than compared to the UK. I think that's kind of indoctrin indoctrination from the traditional karate styles. I agree wholeheartedly. I, I find it's the difference between Japanese karate and Okinawan karate. Mm. Um, starting in a Japanese style, you were told how to do things and, and you weren't allowed to question. And, and what happened is from day one, you, you didn't question. It wasn't your place to question. You just assumed that after 20, 30 years of doing this, that maybe one day a light bulb would go off in your head. Um, or one day on your, your, your instructor's deathbed, your instructor would tell you exactly what, you know, lunch punch was for. Um, but in Okinawan karate, it's a lot more open. And they, they use the term uh, imi, which I love, which is explanation. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways to explain a technique is to just get people bombard you with questions about it. And, and I find that kids are great for that. Why? Why am I doing this? How does that help? Well, how does that work? You know, how can I do that against a bigger person? Why, why do you want me to do it this way? And, mm -hmm. and when people are asking you those questions, they're not doing it a disrespectful way. When, when someone asks me a question in class, I, I routinely stop the class and make the whole class listen to the question. Because, mm -hmm. you know, so many people could be, you know, thinking the same thing. And the great thing as an instructor is that really challenges you. Because sometimes you just don't have an answer. And, and you've got to go, hang on a tick. I'm going to have to do a bit of training on this, a bit of research. Um, I'll quickly message my friend Les in the UK and actually find out the answer and I'll get back to you. Yeah, that's, that's a great approach. I got it as well. And uh, sometimes the students or especially the higher ranking people, when they hear you saying, um, sorry, I don't know. I'm going to actually check. Uh, I've tried to find out for you. I'm not really sure. Um, they've been, been kind of taking a back and especially instructor saying, why? Well, you're just losing your respect. Um, I'm kind of an opposite way. I think you're gaining respect, be honest to people. Um, am I correct? Or you've got a different thing, view of that? Uh, clearly, that's why we're friends, mate. We, we're thinking we're on the same wavelength. So uh, absolutely, like um, pe people will... Uh, I'll give you an example. I'm, I met a, a Japanese, very high-ranking Japanese sensei that come to Cairns. Um, and I won't mention any names, but it was actually... Um, you weren't allowed to talk to him and it was actually rude to look him in the eye. Um, and, and then I later on, uh, I think a year or so later, I met Heguana sensei from Okinawa and like, uh, he's a, he's a superstar. Everyone knows him around the world. And um, I was early to, to the training session. I walked into the room and he literally skipped over to me and shook my hand and gave me the warm, warmest greeting and this is a 10th dan. Um, you, you know, the, the, the two sensei couldn't have been, you know, any more different. And I think that warm approach, having said that, he absolutely destroyed us for the next four hours in the training <laughs> and had, had trouble standing afterwards. But the, the, the smile and the warmth of the approach, that really stuck with me. And I wanted to make sure that I tried to emulate that. Mm. Yeah, I've been on that kind of um, thing as well with the, <clears throat> super famous karate YouTuber when, uh, yeah, they didn't want to speak to me. 
speak to me at all on this seminar and uh, uh, treated me like a dust. But then you've been with Ian Adrenafi or other stuff and uh, it's like you are uh, your long, long lost mate from the day one. The great support and then the friendship and stuff and, and it goes over and uh, beyond to help uh, people like myself who are on the beginning of the road of um, practical karate and stuff. And I think that's what counts, you know. You remember the good people, not the bad people, isn't it? That's right. And karate sets out to make good people. It doesn't guarantee it. Mm. So wearing a gi doesn't make um, uh, the gentleman in question a good person. Yeah, exactly. Have you been, um, uh, no men, men, uh, names mentioning, but uh, for myself, doing the karate over nearly 25 years at the moment, um, I've been a few times uh, unwillingly involved into uh, political storms and stuff like that. Is Australia different or is it fighting over the power and privileges of being a top chain instructor? Uh, how does that look like on your end? Uh, are you talking about karate politics or yeah. the politics that are not suffering? Too deep for me. Too deep for me. <laughs> um, we've managed to uh, avoid the karate politics because very, very early on, um, uh, I had a, a group of close friends who made the nucleus of our school and they had backgrounds in Japanese karate. Uh, one had a background in Aikido. Um and, and we come to the decision that we wanted to do our own thing uh, away from uh, large organisations and politics and being told how to think, what to do, what to wear, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I, I think we just stuck to that. So that's why we do have that open door policy. And because for a long, long time, we've been completely insignificant, just happily going about our business um, we haven't even factored on the radar of anyone who is interested in politics. Um, it's pretty much only recently after the, the advent of um, sharing on the internet, Facebook, COVID hits, um, our, our good friend, mutual friend, Chris Hansen, mm -hmm. starts sharing some of our stuff. Uh, and I think that's when the other schools uh, sat up and took notice that we actually exist. And um, I've actually noticed that uh, a few local schools will actually um, put up rebuttal posts. When we share a post, just going, this is what we're doing. They'll put up a post themselves to say, don't ever do this because this is wrong. And I think it's sad that they feel the need to do that. Mm, that's, 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 uh, so you're getting dragged into politics in a way. Uh, in in a way, but it, it's my fault because I see the post. I, I can simply just not look, and it's it's not a drama. Yeah, yeah. Um, so being in the I'm independent, and I always been independent. I'm coming from a school which was independent from all the major styles. <clears throat> what are the benefits, and what are the not so good stuff? Uh, the benefits are we don't have to earn a squillion dollars, a whole heap of money to send to a hombu dojo and a, a you know a, a top sensei for the privilege of having certificates written and all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. um the the downside is that uh, well i don't even know if it's a downside but you have no legitimacy so regardless of whether it's um uh rightful or not 
if, if someone says I'm part of this school, this style, this lineage, regardless of whether their karate is rubbish, they immediately have a form of legitimacy. Uh-huh. But when you're independent, um, you, you very frequently people just dismiss you and go, well, uh, clearly that's a McDojo. I'm not going to train there. Mm. Um, rather than people walk in the door and actually experience what's going on and go, you know what? It doesn't matter what it's called. This looks pretty good. Mm. Um, and I think that's the that's the downside. And you see a lot of people do that. They, they become independent. Then they try and band a lot of independent groups together under a banner of something to try and obtain that instant legitimacy um look if, if someone doesn't like you because you're not the right lineage that's okay that's their prerogative yeah i've, I've been suffering for the same thing through uh, all my training life so <clears throat> in Poland, we've been independent from any big stars we've been doing our stuff in our and i always as a younger person like yeah it would be nice to be recognized you know the kyokushin fighter uh, and being in that under masayama banner but then it all changed in UK because in UK it's funny thing in Poland and the rest of the Europe I think the uh, style is very important so it doesn't matter you sensei Bubka or sensei Brumi but it's important that you are sensei Brumi from Kyokushin or Gojuryu whereas in UK it's more about the surname so it's a karate of Iana Bernafi, Chris Hansen, whoever, Andy Allen. <clears throat> that changed my perspective, and that's why we, we changed the kind of uh, branding as well for, for myself. But it's very strange to to change. How, from what you're saying, I presume that in Australia is more about the system instead of a person teaching. Is that am I correct? Um, yeah, well, that's that's what I've found. Look, I, I guess there's a sort of a groundswell around the world too that um, uh, there's been a, a big movement away from. Uh, I guess the the Japanese, the Okinawan arts, the Chinese arts and that towards MMA and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I find that uh, MMA gyms and uh, BJJ gyms and that a lot of the times will use a surname, will use a name um, because that's who people know, they identify with. um, um, But those people chasing karate here in Australia are still hung up on the actual style rather than a person's name. Um, in Australia, it's probably the same in the UK. We have what we call a tall poppy syndrome. So um, if you get pretty famous, uh, it seems to be the done thing to knock you down, to belittle you. So it, it doesn't, it's not a great idea if you want a, a big, strong school to basically build yourself up to be the, the be all and end all. So I think we still stick with the actual names of the schools. I don't know. I could be wrong, but that's what just what I think. Well, I, I find it completely opposite in UK. I, I never heard that uh, description first, but um, in karate, I definitely see that people using less and less system or styles names. But it's 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 um, you branding with your name. I think Ian started and, and Jeff and uh, <clears throat> Peter Constantine. They they started it uh, kind of more your name approach. So most of the recognized sensei here are by name, not by the karate style. So I'm kind of dropping now uh, my Shinaido branding and, and going to Les Bubka. And because I've modified it so much, I don't think that it's relevant to use the name. It's kind of more my way of doing stuff based on that style. Um, so I'm kind of moving away from using a, a Shinaido branding per se, but 
Micah at it based on that. Um, Snap of syllables, if that makes sense. I can understand why, why everyone's doing it because we're, we're crossing over styles and look at, you know, once upon a time, all the masters trained with one another. Um, you know, it, it would be blasphemy for someone who does uh, Gojiru to do um, Teki Shodan, you know, and vice, uh, you know, and someone in, in Shadokan to do Sanchin. But you're seeing it more and more. So people are going, well, you know, really the label is not important. We, we do karate and, you know, I'm running the show. So I can see why it is becoming more popular. Uh, going a bit more in uh, karate depth direction, um, methodology of teaching, uh, in particular kata. Do you teach kata? the pattern first, then the application, application first, then the pattern, or both together? Um, if you're talking about in the one lesson, uh, I start with the pattern and then I show the application. So if it's a brand new student, I might show the first two moves of the first kata, and then I might show the application that hopefully fuels the fire to continue learning the pattern because people seem to have a very um, short attention span nowadays and they want to know or, or get more bang for their buck. So they want, if I'm going to learn this Carter thing, I, I've got to know that there's something useful at the end of it. So if you can just get them in a little bit with a little bit of an application that opens their eyes, then you actually turn your back on them and, and, and they're training the house down, trying to remember the pattern of the Carter. Um, but ultimately they do need to spend more time learning the kata to lay that neural pathway, um, those gross motor movements before they can really have any success in applying it correctly. Um, so you've got, how many katas you've got in your system? 13. 13. Um, are you putting the attention equally on everything or you're doing a chosen one? I, for, for, for myself and my students, we've got, uh, I think, 16 katas. And um, I'm usually, we're teaching all of them, but every student get to choose, or I'm choosing for them, whatever suits them or what they like, is a free kata by the black belt. So they're going to go free katas they are specializing in. Uh, what, what's your method in that? Uh, we have one kata per Q grade. Mm -hmm. um, we're still on the uh, older 8Q system. Um, so by the time someone goes for their shodan, they should at least know eight kata. Um, uh, Sanchin and Tensho are not grading kata, so they should know those as well. So essentially for your, your first grading, you need to know one kata. For your second grading, you need to do that kata and a new one. And for the third the first two kata and a new one. And basically the, the, the first kata you learn needs to get better and better. Same with the second. Um, essentially what happens then is uh, by the time someone reaches Sandan, um, they have the, the kata, the, the basic, the patterns down, their first couple of kata are really good. And everyone picks and chooses their own favorite kata that you find that they love applying when we do Kumite. Mm -hmm. um, so you find that their own favorite card of that flavor comes out when they're doing the application during Kumite. Um, how, do, how do you um, practice 
kata into the kumite? Do you doing the the kata flows, kata bunkai, um, like a role playing, or is it kind of uh, whatever comes in in the fighting? Um, well, uh, kumite. Uh, we we come back to the meaning of entangling hands. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be done at close range. And then we, we mix that up, what your kumite looks like. So we might might go back to just having just touching hands and, and striking and kicking from distance that everyone's used to. We might actually just go hands-on. And the, 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 the um, for, for want of a better term, it's a bit of a stand-up wrestle. And you find when you're doing that, people ebb and flow out of the stances of kata. Their, their arm movements come straight out of kata. Then we might go, okay, we're going to try and do a couple of throws while we're doing that. And you'll find that, the, the, the throw will, will happen um, organically, but if we were to, say, film it and show it again, the person will go, well, I know that movement. That's the movement from, say, Kata Cypher. Um, and then we can chop and change the, the kumite. We, we do kumite starting from a seated position. Um, we'll do kumite with one person in the center surrounded by, you know, four or five people. We'll do Kumite with heavy contact will do kumite with incredibly light contact. I think that's the idea to constantly mix it up. Um, we do do um, the, the standard uh, applications where we just work on that one. Okay, someone grabs you around the neck, they're doing this, this part of the carter will apply to that. But with the uh, kumite, our kumite mimics more, uh, looks more a bit like randori. Mm-hmm. So it's it's more of a, a subconscious exercise with you and your partner. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it's kind of similar for me as well. I think everybody who's been touched by wrestling is doing that. <laughs> <laughs> do you mean do you mean hurt by wrestling? <laughs> no, just experience, experience wrestling. Um, yeah, it, it's called to... a full contact hug. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've been trying you know, karate against the wrestler. It opens up um, your mind a lot because you see how much things you cannot do that you thought you can. Absolutely. There's nothing scarier than having every karate weapon taken away from you and the feeling of being utterly helpless. Um, uh, you, you, you become humble very quickly. Uh, your uh, changing the subject again. What what was your uh, or who was your biggest inspiration in martial arts? Wow! Um, you don't have to. You don't have to have one. You can. You can say. Many. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to do a bit of a cop out here. I, pretty much everyone I train with. Um, whether it be a beginner walk through the door or, you know, some of the incredible people I'm training with over the internet now, um, people I've met in person, um, everyone, when we meet, you, you affect, uh, you're affected by everyone you meet. Um, and I, I draw inspiration even from the negative people, um, you know, people that you don't necessarily get along with, you don't necessarily want to train with but they affect you in a way that you go, you know what? I don't want to be like that. Mm. Um, uh, look, uh, as, as far as one of the experiences is going to stick in my head forever was actually being on Okinawa and, and training with uh, Tetsuhiro Hakama. Um, if you haven't had a chance to, to meet Hanchi, um, just a, a lovely, genuine human being, very warm, um, and 
just uh, mind-blowing, his skill and knowledge too. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying he's any better or worse than any other sensei, but I was just lucky enough to train with him on Okinawa, and that's going to stay with me forever. Uh, future plans for Khan's karate, if I said that properly. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, I guess I could probably uh, say this because I've been given permission to do it, but uh, there is a, a an excellent um, seminar that occurs in New Zealand. It's called the Goja Guys, mm -hmm. and there are three very, very good friends from different uh, organisations within Gojiru and Goja Kai. Um, I've recently been invited to the next time they're able to run that seminar uh, to be the fourth Goju guy to um, participate. Um, this year, uh, because it was only held in New Zealand because of COVID, no one could get there. They still had 70 participants from 17 different organizations. Awesome. And it's not just Goju, it's just Karateka, different martial artists all sharing together. Um, it's an open door forum. And I, I am truly humbled to have been asked to to join in and be one of the instructors for the next Goju Guys seminar by um, by the gentlemen who who run the Goju Guys as it is, and I I still to this day have to pinch myself that they've actually asked me to join in. Awesome! I, I, <clears throat> I think well deserved. Looking on your stuff, where you you're well gonna fit in there. Thank you. Um, where um, can we find you? I know you've got a Facebook page. Uh, I'm gonna put everything in the link below. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Facebook page is Cans Karate. Um, the uh, internet that not many people use <laughs> anymore <laughs> is um, uh, canskarate.com.au. Um, and then we've got a, a small YouTube channel, which is under our, the name of our school. And it's a bit of a mouthful. It's the name of our school is Southern Cross Bukai Karate Do. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we've got a few videos on there to just spark a bit of interest. Oh yeah, I'm gonna put everything in the links below. By the way, what's the what the bukai means? Um, well, bu is the Japanese term for martial, um, yeah. and I really like the fact that that term martial is actually made up of two characters. Uh, first character is an, an old-fashioned name, a halberds or, or spears, mm -hmm. um, and the second character is to stop. So what bu literally means is to stop conflict. Yeah. So if, if if someone says they do a bu jitsu. Boo is the we're learning how to stop conflict in a practical way. It's a it's a you know practical martial art. Um, the the term Kai has multiple meanings. It can mean modified. It can mean school. So we take the literal meaning of we we're studying uh, how to stop conflict. School. That's that's what we're about. We're not we're not learning to fight other people. We're learning to stop conflict, both internally and externally. So internally, karate is amazing for your mental health. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful finish, sir. Beautiful finish. <laughs> uh, it was a pleasure uh, speaking to you, PJ. Uh, I hope we're going to have a chance to talk again. And I hope that when all this COVID thing is uh, going to go away, we're going to be able to travel around. And in one day, I can uh, either see you in UK or see you in Australia. Oh, absolutely, mate. We'd love to have you over here. Or I'd love to visit. Um, just to let you and your friends in the UK know that if you do want to come out to Australia when it's safe to do so, you no longer have to steal something and be deported. You can actually <laughs> just come and visit. 
<laughs> I'm sure they're going to appreciate that. <laughs> uh, yes, pleasure. Thank you very much, mate.